At the start of Chapter 3, we find it was a typical South Carolina summer morning on Leadenbaugh Island, a crystal clear blue sky overhead, the air as heavy and damp as the inside of a shower stall, full of early warmth and the scent of flowers and damp earth and the promise of more heat to come. Overhead, two herons were flying toward the river to begin stalking the shallows for fish. Couldn't have been more perfect day for my first day of work. Rufus and I walked across the yard and then down the dirt track that led between the corn and soybean fields to the main plantation drive. Several large horse pastures ran around and along the other side of the road, and on the far end of the nearest pasture, I could see my old gray Welsh pony grazing. Highlights from The Mystery Adventure, The Girl from Felony Bay by J.E. Thompson. The Bulletin of the Center for Children's Books suggests in its review, a character in itself, the South Carolina setting, is fully realized with the danger and beauty of its swampy backwoods, a factor in every chapter. While author Katie Crouch adds, J.E. Thompson has created a wonderful, honest character with a pitch-perfect young girl's voice. South Carolina is the setting for Thompson's new novel that has the wonderfully evocative title Buccaneers Spit. Spit, of course, referring mostly to an extended stretch of beach material that projects out into the sea and is joined to the mainland at one end, as the BBC defines it. As we'll soon learn, Thompson knows a thing or two about spits, and he cares about them. In fact, he's created a compelling story in which we come to care about a spit every bit as much as we do about Callie and Finn and the pup Plankton. J.E. Thompson knows and loves South Carolina, but he also has deep ties to northeastern Pennsylvania, though he was born in the Buckeye State. John Thompson stopped in at the WVIA studios to talk about Buccaneer's spit and the places he loves. I love the outdoors, and it's great that I grew up in Ohio, and it's great that I've spent a fair number of years in New England, and then a fair number of years, actually more years than any place else here in Pennsylvania. I've had a home here for 40 years. And then South Carolina, where we have, we, we also live for part of the year, each of these places have such absolutely distinct environments. When you walk outside, when, the, when you look at the seasons, how the seasons express themselves, what grows there, what animals live there. I mean, the lushness of South Carolina is extraordinary. The silence in the woods this time of year on a Pennsylvania morning, when you go out at sunrise for a deer hunt, the, the silence is unbelievable. And the minimal motion, a, a squirrel moving on a branch will catch your eye and it might be 200 yards away. So, you know, just the difference of place is phenomenal, I think. And so that, that becomes a character for me, I guess. And the idea of writing characters who are young. Now, you talked with us about your daughter and she gave you the thumbs up. I remember. Tell us about how it is, because you didn't go right into writing for or about young people. No, I, I started out, I cut my teeth trying to be a literary writer for adults. And that was it, was, it was a great learning experience for me. I was lucky enough to get an agent very quickly. But after 
three unsold novels, they said, would you please write one that's got a little more plot? So I wrote a couple thrillers that did pretty well. I, Armageddon Conspiracy actually won, that was my first thriller, and that won the IPI, which is the Independent Publishers Award for Best Thriller of the Year. That's a national award. So it was, a, I mean, it was good. It's a good book. But then I, I looked at writing thrillers, and I wrote a couple others, and I realized that I was I was going to be fighting against something that I really didn't want to have to do, and that was kind of writing the same feeling of book over and over again. And I, I had other ideas and other things I wanted to express and explore. And then my daughter said, Dad, would you write a book I can read? And when I tried, I began to realize that I had far more latitude in terms of ideas I could play with, concepts I could introduce in the book, and in fact, probably because it wasn't going to all be one series of books, I could write about different places, different people. And just as a writer, the opportunity to do that is a tremendous freedom. And I have also loved the idea of writing books that I think contain ideas that I hope children will think about, internalize to some degree. They're ideas that I think will help make them better citizens. Did your daughter say at any point, Dad, about some aspect of a manuscript or another? Well, she knew that in Felony Bay that the main character was very much based on her. A, a spunky, resourceful, intelligent, and courageous young lady. So, yes, that was kind of dedicated to my daughter, and, and, and I had a great amount of fun writing it. And what I've done here with Buccaneer Spit is somewhat the same thing. I've got an, a girl that probably, again, I mean, I, I guess my daughter is always in, in the forefront of my mind. And in this book, I had fun because I wrote about a girl and a boy together. And, and so there's, there's, a, there's a little girl-boy thing that goes on. It's by no means a love story. I don't think I could write a love story. But it's an adventure story, and it's an environmental adventure story. And it's the story of two children who uh, the girl's grandfather is selling a spit of land that he and his late wife were going to preserve forever. It's environmentally delicate. It's important to, you know, to anybody with environmental sensibilities, and yet he's selling it, and she doesn't understand why. And there's a big family rationale for that that comes out in the book, and the person buying it is a developer and he's not a good developer. He's a bad guy. He's kind of a bad guy. He's maybe a lot of a bad guy. And, and he has a piece of paper that he protects all the time that he keeps in a plastic bag, but he keeps looking at it as he's having work done on this spit to try to prepare it, theoretically prepare it for development. He keeps referring to this piece of paper. And one day it blows out. He, he's resealed it in the plastic bag and it gets ripped out of his hand by the wind and blows out over the ocean and lands in the water. And a, a sea turtle comes along and raises its head. And sea turtles, this is one of the points that I try to make in the book, sea turtles look at plastic bags and think that they're jellyfish because they've got terrible eyesight. And they eat them. And then they can't pass them through. So it kills sea turtles. So the sea turtle eats the bag. The bad guy is trying to get his henchman to get the turtle and they're going to kill it and, and get the thing back. And the kids call the sea turtle rescue, which is a real thing down in South Carolina because sea turtles are endangered and 
they commonly have, they get hit by boat props or, you know, they've, they've eaten something or they get cold stung, which is they get, if, if the water quickly becomes cold, they, they become comatose and they'll drown. So people pick, they pick them up and take them to the hospital. So the kids call the turtle rescue and turtle rescue gets the turtle before the bad guys do. And the next day the kids go to, to the aquarium where the turtle hospital is located. And it's a real thing in Charleston, South Carolina. And they are allowed to watch the endoscopy as they remove the plastic bag from the turtle. When the plastic bag comes out, the kids say, well, you know, we called this turtle in. Would it be okay if we had what's in the bag? And they said, well, yeah, normally we keep it as a, as a way of demonstrating what made this turtle sick. But sure, you, you did a good thing. We'll give you the bag. Well, it's, it turns out that the bag contains what appears to be a very old map. And I don't want to ruin the book for anybody listening, so I won't go any farther on the plot. But the map has, there's a lot going on. So it's a lot of, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's very exciting. And part of my fun with the two kids is that the young man has terrible dyslexia. He has a tough time reading, and he thinks, as some of his family thinks, that he's not very smart. He's a very good athlete, and they brag about his sports ability, which is fantastic, but he carries this sort of burden of shame around that he's not very smart. And Callie, the young girl, says, you know, I've got friends that are dyslexic. They're real smart. It's just that you have a way of looking at words where you don't see words in the right order. You turn them around or you transpose them. So through the book, this young man discovers that he actually is not dumb at all, and he's actually very smart. And so my publisher called up and said, hey, would you like us to print this book in open dyslexic typeface? And I had never heard of that before. And I said, I think that's a lovely idea. They said, we think teachers are going to love this book. And they're going to want kids to read it. And so we, we want to have it in that so that the dyslexic kids have a really easy way of approaching the book. So I'm excited. I'm real excited. It's only been out for two weeks. And I've, I'm getting great comments so far from educators and, and others. And surprisingly, some really heartfelt reviews on, on Amazon so far. I mean, reviews that I've read and I've, I've gone, wow, these are, these are written with, this isn't just, this is a good book. You know, this is, I've moved people. And I'm, I'm delighted about that. So you have the girl and the boy and the sea turtle and the bad guy. They can't be separated from the place. They're not just figures moving around in this watery space or this spit. They come out of this place, I have a sense. They don't. Actually, the girl has come down to spend spring vacation with her grandfather. Now, she comes down every year, and she's always come down with her parents. But this year, her parents aren't coming there's something going on between her parents and she doesn't know what it is. She's convinced that they're getting divorced. She's wrong, but that's what she comes down. And she, so she's kind of huffy when she first comes down because she's, she doesn't like being sent away when there's a secret that she's not being clued in on. And so she comes down for the first time by herself to spend a spring vacation with her, with her grandfather. And he has been widowed for a couple of years and the one thing that this young lady treasures, though, she lives in, in Brooklyn, New York. Her parents are teachers. And she comes down and she talks about Buccaneer Spit, which is this great special place that her grandfather owns. And, and she meets a boy on her first day on the spit. I can read that to you in a minute. And when something happens that 
that really is part of the environment down there that makes a place so special. And the boy knows more about what's going on than the girl does, but he's down there for spring vacation as well. So they're both kids who are visiting this very special place, but they both have a wonderful affinity for it, which I I think since I'm a transplant to South Carolina, uh, it's easy to many people down there, many of us are people who have come from somewhere else, but we all have a pretty strong affinity for the special environment down there. And Buccaneer Spit is also a book that was inspired by a true story called Captain Sam Spit, which is a spit of land right next to Kiowa Island. And I'm on the board of something called the Coastal Conservation League, which is a wonderful conservation organization that has has lots of tentacles and lots of different things in in the low country along the coast of South Carolina. And one thing we were doing for 10 years was opposing the development of Captain Sam Spit. And we won in the South Carolina Supreme Court four times. And finally, this last time, we won again. And the Supreme Court finally said, you know, we don't want to see this case again. You, you know, the, the developers kept changing what they were trying to do little by little so that they could once again challenge the previous rulings. And the Supreme Court finally said, we're done. We don't want to see this again. So Captain Sam Spit will remain uh, unspoiled for good. And so Buccaneer Spit is, it's kind of that story, but driven by two kids as opposed to an organization and with the map and whatever the map leads to. How old is your daughter now? She's 23. Did she read it? She did. She reads everything. And before I sent it to my agent, I said, you got to read this and you tell me thumbs up or thumbs down. And she went thumbs up, big thumbs up. Yeah, she's a she's a really good reader. She's a huge, she's the only other person in the family with me who's a huge reader. She just devours books. Your daughter's read the book. Of course, you've written the book and read the book. And now it's our turn. Would you choose a section and, and read for us? Well, I mentioned a minute ago that something happened on the very first day that she was on the spit. So let me start. I was hunched over, lost in my own dark thoughts when it happened. For a few seconds, nothing was different. Plankton, the Jack Russell, was right in front of me, sniffing near the water's edge. But then he came to a sudden stop, laying his ears back as he looked out at the quiet sea. After a second, he started to growl, but not the kind of growl that said he wanted attention or was getting bored. It was a really deep one the kind he made when he was getting set to fight. One thing about Jack Russell Terriers, they don't back down, not ever. They might be little, but they have the courage of lions. They're also smart. But here Plankton was, acting totally wild with his hackles sticking up, growling at absolutely nothing but empty ocean. At least I thought it was nothing, until the first mullet jumped right out of the water, onto the shore. Then about two seconds later, another mullet jumped out onto the sand, and then a couple more, and then a whole bunch of them started erupting right offshore in a huge flopping tangle that reminded me of popcorn popping. Some of the mullet landed back in the water, but a lot of them came clear out of the water onto the sand. With the fish frantically slapping their tails into the sand on either side, Plankton whipped his head one way than another and let out an even angrier growl. Even though I had to admit it was very weird, I almost started laughing at the idea of plankton being scared by a bunch of silly fish. There's nothing unusual about mullet jumping. They're probably the most jumpingest fish there are. Nobody knows for sure what makes them do it, but while they jump a lot, they tend to do it one at a time, 
not all together in big groups, and I had never, ever seen them jump out of the water onto land. I stood up thinking that I would throw the crazy beach mullet back into the ocean when the shoreline really exploded. Four huge gray torpedoes shot out of the water partway onto the sand. Each of them had a pointy mouth full of big teeth, and they started eating the mullet that had jumped ahead of them and were now flopping helpless. I froze, shocked by what I was seeing, even fearing for a second that the big gray shapes were going to keep coming right up the shore to grab me. Even as scared as I was, I could already see that they weren't sharks. These were porpoises, creatures I had always thought of as cute and friendly. Part of my brain was telling me that porpoises couldn't come out onto shore and eat people, but the other part of my brain saw that mass of big, squirming, snapping gray bodies and flopping mullet with plankton right between them, and I was suddenly terrified. So that really happens. That's called stranding, and, and porpoises group of porpoises will herd a school of mullet up onto a beach and the mullet are actually out of the water flopping around and and the porpoises will shoot out of the water and they'll get all the way they'll get completely on the sand rolling around eating the mullet and then they'll worm their way back to the water and when you see it it's just explosive it's amazing and of course this dog is standing right there in the middle of that and he's protein too so she had you know Anyway, well, you don't need to cry for, for plankton. <laughs> and you do have a soft spot for dogs. You really do. Dogs are very important to you as what? Companions as what do dogs mean to you? Um, dogs to me are, yes, they're absolutely companions. I love dogs. I've, I've had dogs for many, many, many years, and I love them. But I think you can express a character through the relationship with a dog in a wonderful way. And I really do like doing that. As you were reading that passage, I was sitting back because there's energy in your prose. And that's, a, that's early in the book. That's early in the book. A lot of fun things happen in Buccaneer Spit. Age range? I'd say 8 to, eight to 13, probably. It's a, you know, the characters are 12 years old. And when you're 16 years old, you, you're way too sophisticated to read about 12-year-olds for the most part. So I would say 8 to 14. How does this book then get out to readers now? Well, what I'm hoping is that I will be able to do a lot of school visits. And if any of you out there are listening and you're teachers, I do not charge for school visits. Uh, a lot of authors do. It's my way of giving back. I believe that talking to kids about literature and writing is important. I love it. And I try to make their day when I go to visit because I think if you can get kids excited about something and throw a lot of energy at them, they'll remember it. And hopefully it will get them to do something, get them to read more, get them to maybe even want to write a little bit. So I've got my first school visit at Western Wayne Elementary. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I've got 400 kids I'm going to be talking to. So that'll be great fun. And I'm going to be doing that a lot. I don't know if this book, my other books have been reviewed pretty widely by Publishers Weekly and things like that. I don't know if this will be, quite honestly, because I don't hit the diversity circle, but uh, I would I would certainly welcome it being reviewed. That helps, obviously. And Amazon so far has been and independent bookstores. I have to put in a plug for independent bookstores. They have been so powerful for me with my other books because they really read the books, and if they love something, they recommend it. 
and there are no politics involved. They just recommend it because they think it's good. And I believe this book will benefit from that. You know, if the book is good, and I believe it is, and the story is pretty riveting, and I had a lot of adults read the book so far, you know, early on, and they've liked it uh, a lot. So if you have a book that works for children and for adults, you have a book that, you have a story that works, and I think it will, The Girl from Felony Bay is still selling. Actually, I just found out that the paperback is sold out. I'm waiting for a reprint from HarperCollins. Uh, Disappearance at Hangman's Bluff is still selling. So children's books, if they're good stories, have a long life. And my job is to get out and talk to as many people as I can and make sure that they know about it. Writer John Thompson of Northeastern Pennsylvania and South Carolina speaking with us about and reading from his new mystery adventure for 8- to 14-year-olds, Buccaneers Spit, A Race for the Treasure, just issued by Pelican, Pelican based in New Orleans, all of this in advance of his visit to Western Wayne Elementary. And John Thompson writes under the name J.E. Thompson, J.E. Thompson, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, As he told us, he welcomes invitations to read in school settings. He doesn't charge. The other distinctive thing about Buccaneer's Spit is that it's set in open dyslexic typeface, and the character Finn happens to be dyslexic. So it's a wonderful gesture to bring in and include everyone in reading this book. Buccaneer's Spit A Race for the Treasure, issued by Pelican. And for more information, pelicanpub.com. Pelicanpub.com. It's J.E. Thompson, Buccaneers Spit, A Race for the Treasure, issued by Pelican. Pelicanpub.com.